Hannah's prayer. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted up. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no doubt one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no one rock like our God. Do not keeping do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who full hire themselves out for food, but those who hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and hits and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princesses, and with them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Helikiah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Word of the Lord. Thank you, Larry. Larry just read for us a passage from 1 Samuel chapter 2. You probably saw it on the screen. Um, Verse 1 through 11. And we'll be looking at that song, but also trying to look a little bit at where that song came from. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I, uh, I want to thank you for each person here. I, there's no way I will get the chance to talk to every person here, but Lord, you see each person here. You know each person here, and you desire for them to receive today the grace that is especially meant for them. There is a special grace that is meant specifically for each person here, Father. And so I pray that you would open our eyes, you would open our ears and our minds to receive this, even through all the kinds of things that can be distractions in a place like this, Lord, that your spirit would speak clearly and that you would have your way among us today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. Amen. This prayer that Larry just read for us, 
I, I started thinking this week as I was meditating on the beginning of this book, 1 Samuel, thinking for myself, what would it be like if I was at a gathering and then all of a sudden I was next to someone and they prayed this kind of prayer? Out of the blue, they prayed this kind of prayer. God, you are the only holy God. Uh, you, you, make, you bring fruitfulness to people who are barren. You raise up the humble. You make low the proud. This kind of prayer that he just read. I was just imagining myself sitting next to, to people on Wednesday. And what it would be like if someone prayed this kind of prayer. Because you don't say, you don't say a prayer like this without grace reigning in your life. You don't say a prayer like this without grace reigning in your life. It speaks to the words. What they do is they speak to someone who has been changed, who is being changed, who is being transformed. And I say this because, I, you know, there are times in my life when I've experienced this, experienced this, and there are other times in my life where that change, that transformation feels so far off and I'm always trying to reach back into the crevices of my mind. And I'm trying to say, Lord, what did you do back then? What did you do that changed my life and set me on a course that was different than where I was before? What we're observing and watching is the prayer of a person who is being completely transformed. And it, that transformation, it gives her words of such confidence Words that don't make sense apart from some undergirding truth that makes sense out of them. There are words of such praise that surpasses anything else that everyday life might have to offer. And this is how 1 Samuel begins, which is where we'll be for a few weeks. It begins with this cry out of grace. But what I'll, the way I will talk about this over the next few weeks, it's not just grace, but prophetic grace. The kind of grace that God is using to reach out and touch each person that has prepared them to receive who God is. This kind of grace helps each of us focus in on what God is doing. And I think about all the past few messages of this past year. So far, just two so far. So you haven't missed too many if you missed any. But the first, the, a couple Sundays ago, we were looking at Simeon and Anna waiting at the temple gates. And there were people waiting in wonder for God to move in their life. And then Wendy, Pastor Wendy spoke for us last week and talked about waiting for the Spirit to come. And how that is, that is all, what that involves is a hunger and a thirst for God to come and fill us. And then it empowers us for witness in the world we're in. So as we begin this series thinking about what prophetic grace looks like, how God reaches out to each of us and transforms our lives, we're going to look at Hannah's story. Not just her prayer, but actually I'll explain what happened, what led to that prayer, how she got to that prayer. And it's going, to be, it's going to have three movements for us, which will be easy for us to follow, I hope. Because it shows us that grace brings purpose out of pain. It shows us that grace brings purpose out of pain. Then the second thing is that it's not just the what, but it's how. It's by ushering power through prayer to shape us as people for the future. Grace brings purpose out of pain by ushering power through prayer to shape us as people for the future. That's the what, that's the how, 
and that is the why. The first part of this is that grace brings purpose out of pain. I don't know if you know exactly where we are in the Bible. I mean, you might have, I would encourage you to have it turned open if you can, whether it's on your phone or on a Bible in front of you. But we're in 1 Samuel, right at the beginning of 1 Samuel. And 1 Samuel happens at the end of this 400-year period in Israelite history called the Judges. Now, if you've ever read the book of Judges, it's kind of self-explanatory, but the, the time of the Judges was a time where the whole land of Israel was overcome by evil. Every institution in the land was compromised. It was being led by idolatry and sin. Some of the hardest passages in Scripture are in the book of Judges, where you think, wow, this is happening in the midst of God's people? Murder. You know, and even far more horrific acts are all in the book of Judges. That's where we are. First Samuel is on the tail end of that. And then you also know, what you should know also is that it's not just in a big, big way that, you know, the, the, the land is being run by people who are leading people to idolatry and sin, but every person in society, all the prophets, all the priests, everyone doesn't have any, any integrity. They're all compromised. They're all looking out for themselves, and they're all leading people away from God. And then you have this story of Hannah, because there is the big story of suffering happening for all the people, and there is also the story, the personal space of suffering that Hannah is enduring. Hannah has a husband. Her name, his name is Elkanah. Elkanah. And Elkanah has two wives. It's pretty norm, normal back then. Not exactly sure how that worked, but that is the case. Elkanah had two wives. He had one wife named Penina. She had many children. And then he had a wife named Hannah, who had no children. And what First chapter 1 tells us is that there is this painful rivalry between Penina and Hannah. A painful rivalry where it's almost like Penina is mocking Hannah for not being able to, to, to give to her husband a child. You know, it, it's, it's painful to read for me personally. And what you see in their family is they have a rhythm of every year going to the temple for worship, making sacrifices every year, very devout in their faith. And in verse 7, this is what it tells us. I'm in chapter 1, verse 7. This is where I'm reading. This went on year after year whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord. Her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. That's Penina. Then verse 8. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Elkanah might be trying to be caring by saying what he's trying to say, but he's also kind of oblivious. In truth, very few people might, would know what Hannah's actually going through. Actually, I, I would have changed that. If I thought of, if I could actually, if I, I knew what was in everyone's experiences in this room, I think more often as opposed to less, there's you or someone close to you has experienced the desire to have children and, the, and they were not able to have children. And what that is, that is a pain for a longing for something to come to be, a deep longing and desire, and yet at the same time you wait powerlessly for something to take place. 
And here's Hannah, who is trying to do everything she can. She's being pushed out by this never woman in her household. She has a husband who might want to be caring for her, and at the same time doesn't get what she's going through. And then verse 10. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. She is weeping bitterly. What this first chapter tells us about Hannah is that the Lord's actually closed up her womb. It uses that language. It uses a Hebrew word, cigar, for shut or close up. And it helps when you think about all of what's already happened in the Bible, this portion. It helps to think about all the women who've come before Hannah in the Bible who have suffered grief of not being able to have children because they're actually some of the central people in God's story that he's telling throughout all time. There's Sarah, who well into her age, old into her age before she had children. There's Rebecca, who gave birth to Jacob, but it took 20 years of her marriage before she had children. There's Rachel, who her marriage and family is filled with turmoil. They have 12 sons and Joseph, but it's not a journey or story of peace, but of lots of infighting and of turmoil. And then I'll jump way ahead in New Testament, but I even think of Elizabeth, who gave birth to John the Baptist, and her story of waiting with Zechariah. There is this deep pattern in scripture of women waiting in the midst of struggle and suffering. And this is, if you're a woman, if you've experienced this or you know someone that's experienced this, I think this is a biblical truth. I think you can take this home and it's that God uses women in the midst of incredible suffering as key instruments of his redemption. He brings out leaders, prophets, and kings through these women that bestows grace to the world. That's what's happening here. Hannah shares in this fellowship of grief and pain. And one of the commentators I read this week, he said this, which I think is really important to think about for Hannah. It's God's tendency is to make our total inability his starting point. Just think about how you woke up this morning or started this last week. God tends to start at our place of greatest need and our inability to do anything when his people are without strength, without resources, without hope, without human gimmicks, then he loves to stretch forth his hand from heaven. And once we see where God often begins, we will understand how we can be encouraged. God's grace takes this moment for Hannah of just you know, think about her family life. Think about how this is everyday suffering with Penina right on the other side, and then her husband, Elkanah, God takes this horrible moment, and he turns it for good. In the life of Hannah, God brings about Samuel. And we're going to learn a lot about Samuel. And through the life of her family, he shields the whole kingdom through this one person, Samuel. You know, there's... There's no pain or suffering in life that doesn't go unused. And I'm very hesitant in life to rush towards meaning. We often need a lot of time to understand and discern what God is doing in our lives. But there's no doubt God uses everything to draw about good because this is what God does. And so if you think about that grace that I'm asking you to reflect about this morning, the grace is that God brings 
purpose out of pain. And it's life-changing purpose. So that's the what, what God's doing. What he's doing in this story, what I believe he's doing in your story. But how? How is this happening? How is God doing this? True power, it's not found in any kind of position, whether it's the characters we read on the page or the different positions you experience in life or you know, even like the position of an elder or a deacon or a pastor. True power is not found in a position but in one's posture before God. It's found in one's posture before God through the power of prayer. He brings, so the, the, the how is he brings grace to people by ushering power through prayer. So if you look into Hannah's story, Hannah is weeping bitterly and she makes a vow. She makes a vow and when you look at the kind of vow she makes, it's a, it's a vow prayer before what happens in chapter 2. She makes this prayer, and it's a prayer that is powerful. And I want to look at why it's powerful, how it's powerful. Look at verse 11 with me if you have your Bible open. 1 Samuel 1, 11. And she prayed a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery, remember me. And not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. She says this as the priest of where she is in Shiloh is just sitting there. He's kind of only halfway doing his job. He's supposed to be guarding, the, attending to the temple. And he's just kind of sitting there on the job, not really engaged in what he's supposed to be doing. And she makes one of these most daring asks. If you give, then I will give it back to you. If you give, then I will give it all back to you. And here are some reasons why this prayer is so powerful. Because it's not just the words that we say. Our words matter. But it matters most importantly who they are directed to. Hannah's prayer is powerful because it's directed to God Almighty. You see, Lord Almighty there. Hannah's actually the first person in the Bible up to this point that prays to God in this way and describes God in this way. She's the first person. It gets repeated that they're all riffing off of Hannah. She is the first person to, to speak to God and say, Lord Almighty. And it's almost like her pain, her suffering has turned her into a theologian because she immediately knows that to pray, she must acknowledge God as the sole giver of life. He is the source. He is the reason that life exists. And after she acknowledges God, Lord Almighty, it says that she prays in her heart. Think about that for yourself a little bit. What does it mean for me to pray in my heart? Or even to pour out my soul. This is what makes her prayer so powerful. Look at verse 13. Hannah was praying in her heart. And her lips were moving. But her voice was not heard. So what it's being described to us is she is she's very clearly praying. If you just saw her on the street, you're like, whoa, this, this woman is really praying. Her lips are moving, but the sound is not necessarily coming out. And she is intensely engaged in whatever she's doing. And Eli actually sees her and almost rebukes her. He thinks she's drunk. He thinks, whoa, what are you doing here? Why are you coming to the temple drunk? And it points 
to the next principle for why prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful when we offer the depths of our complete selves to God in the freedom of his presence. When you offer your complete self to God in the freedom of his presence, because she's there. She is completely there in her bitterness and her sadness, her pain. She is completely before God, and she doesn't care who's looking. She doesn't care who's people's listening. She only cares about who she's talking to, the Lord Almighty. And once she gets into this place, she is completely free in his presence. This is kind of what I mean by the power through prayer. The power through prayer is talking to the God of power, but it's also making yourself completely surrendered to the God of power and actually pouring out your soul. She's pouring out everything. I think one of the things that I think sometimes enters people's minds when you start to learn about the Bible is you think, well, you know, personal prayer, devotion, that's not really an Old Testament thing. Have you ever thought that? All the, the spirituality, the faith coming from the Old Testament, that's, you know, that's not what we have because Jesus changed all that. There's definitely some things that transformed and changed because Jesus came and sent his spirit. That is true. But the idea of personal devotion not existing in the Old Testament is just not true. You look at the Psalms, like Psalm 142, I, 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 I pour out my complaint before the Lord. I tell my trouble before him. Or you look at Hannah here, completely vulnerable and barren on the steps of the temple, pouring out her soul. Personal devotion exists in beautiful ways in the Old Testament. But don't just think about the Old Testament. I'd like to ask you, about when was the last time you poured out your soul to God? When was the last time you poured out your soul to God? Maybe you're seeing some of your story in Hannah, but even if it's not about what she's specifically praying about, when did you cry out to God without caring who was listening, without caring about how much control you'd have to give up in order to actually receive from God? When did you last say, God, I'm at my end of my rope. I am done with this. I cannot go back to what I was doing before. Lord Almighty, if I give, will you give? And if you give to me, can I give all that back to you? Because that's the power at work in this moment for Hannah. She is completely giving of herself. I, when I thought about that this week, I just go back to these touchstones in my life of calls to my family, of calls to friends, of work, of ministry. I go back to these moments where I, I barely had any answers at all. And yet the place for me to be was on my knees before God. And, and I find myself thinking that, you know, I'm not done doing that. I haven't figured it all out. No, I actually need to do this again. I, I need to embrace a posture of praying in my heart, pouring out my soul, because that's how God works grace in my life where I give up the things that I'm holding on to, the powers I think I have, when I don't actually have it. I give all that up to him saying, Lord, you are the Lord Almighty. I am not. And I commit myself to praying because that is how God works his power through me because it gets me in the right posture, focusing on the right person. Prayer is powerful because we offer the depths of our complete selves in the freedom of God's presence. So what we get to see is the result. So Hannah's come. You know, she's praying. She knows Eli's over here kind of listening. He's sitting. He's halfway doing his job. And the result 
is Eli actually blesses her. I'm going to go back a few verses. Just verse 15 will kind of catch us up a little bit. Verse 15 not so, my, not so my Lord, Hannah replied, because Eli thinks she's drunk. I am a woman who's deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer, just to be clear. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I, I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. So Eli, Eli probably, he, he, he starts to get on page with God. He's like, oh, I, this is what's actually happening here. Okay. So Eli, he blesses her. He sends her with favor, and immediately Hannah goes without downcastness on her face. She, she goes and eats something, which is always good for us. And then she, she goes without feeling downcast on her face. The power of prayer is how we open ourselves up to the grace that God wants each of us to receive. When we actually give of ourselves, and not all of us are going to, in this space of prayer, feel extremely comfortable. Actually, we're probably going to feel uncomfortable. But the point I want to make is that to experience the power of prayer, you really have to give all of yourself, your complete self, and focus it on the Lord Almighty and truly ask for him to move and actually believe that he can and will in his own way, in his own time, but that he sees you completely. The what is that God brings purpose out of pain. How does he do it? Through the power of prayer. Why? To shape us as people for the future. To shape us as people for the future. If you've ever experienced God move in your life, God moved in your life, you know, the blessing, the grace of God, it's fallen upon your life, there's a couple things that can happen. One, you could actually take it for granted. You can actually take God's grace for granted. You could even question what happened. What I mean was like, oh, did God, really, did, did God really do that thing? I mean, I spent all that time praying, but didn't it just kind of work out on its own? Or did God move? Or you can allow that grace to shape the person you are and the person you will become. Hannah is forever shaped by this in her life. She is forever shaped by God's grace, and we should be too. And actually, I look at Hannah, and I think we have probably the best, one of the best, if not the best model for what it looks like to make a vow before God and actually follow through with it faithfully. Because after she goes home with the blessing of Eli, she becomes pregnant. The Lord remembers her. And then she has a child. She names him Samuel. And then after three years where she's kind of nurturing him, she's weaning him off, she takes him back to the, worship, to the temple. And she takes him back to dedicate him, just as she said she would, that I, that to give him back to the temple for God's ministry, just as she prayed. She goes to Eli, who's still there. Maybe he's sitting down still. And, you know, she, she tells him, I'm the one that prayed for a child. And God granted this to me. And so now I want to give him back to the Lord for his, the whole life that he has. It's come from God, so I want to give it back. Samuel is a gift for God's purposes, and he belongs to God. And each gift that we have, if you think about that, anything you've received in your life, God has given you that you might also give it back to him. They're not ours. 
We treat the things we make, the money we earn, the things we own, we treat them like they're ours a lot of times, but they are God's and God's alone. Our whole world belongs to God. If you're looking about, you know, maybe I don't have a great voice, but what are your tools for worship? We're called to lift everything up to the glory of God. And that's what Hannah does. What does she have? Well, she's apparently an amazing worship leader. She's apparently an amazing intercessor. She's apparently an amazing person who has been shaped by God's grace to give us this prayer that she does. And in this prayer, it's filled with praise. She, she says, I was ready to fall and you gave me strength. I was barren and you made me fruitful. I was poor and you made me rich. And she sees all these tiny moments of God's grace and salvation in her life, how it has come, how it will come to be. And it speaks to the reality that spiritual power is going to triumph all day long over any kind of social power, any kind of power, any kind of human endeavor. And that grace, if you've experienced grace this way and you allow it to, it will shape you for the future. So like I already referenced, God likes to begin at the place of our complete inability. He likes to begin. He begins this book with one of the most vulnerable, supposedly unseen people in the Bible. And he also begins with all of us, not in the place where we have a lot figured out, but actually when we come to the end of ourselves. And I like to connect what Paul writes about in Romans 12 with this because it helps us see what Hannah's doing and what we're invited to do in view of God's mercy. And it's Romans 12:1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, which mercy and grace is kind of interchangeable, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Hannah offers herself as a living sacrifice. She sacrifices it all before the temple. She even offers her son as a living sacrifice, Samuel. And then Hannah remains a living sacrifice through her song and through her life. She will never be the same person she was before. And it's in that place of praying these things that God moved through Hannah's prayer. And he would eventually shield the whole people. And you even think about this. As Samuel was born, so he's born, he helps us understand another prophet who would be born. Because Samuel was a prophet and judge. But he helps reveal, help us understand another prophet who would be born from other similar difficulty. And that prophet is Jesus who's available to each of us here and now. Samuel helps us see Jesus. It helps us anticipate how we can rightly arrange and get on board with the one true king. Jesus himself offers himself as a living sacrifice to the poor in spirit, to the physically and spiritually destitute. Jesus invites us, each of us, each of you, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Jesus draws out purpose out of pain. He draws out purpose out of pain for anything you might experience. And when we realize we can't do it on our own, you start to realize that, wow, prayer is actually necessary. 
Any of the promises that are talked about in Scripture, they're not really possible without the posture of prayer. That's how we allow the power to move through us by the Holy Spirit. The kind of prayer that focuses on the Lord Almighty. The kind of prayer that acknowledges there is freedom in God's presence, and that's where I want to be. And lastly, Jesus leads us to be changed and transformed, our minds to be renewed. The rest of Romans talks about that. And it changes our outlook in life because there is no God like our God, our rock and our redeemer. So I'd like to close this morning as I invite the worship team up this morning that for you, do you feel, have you prayed this prayer and do you feel that you do need to pray this prayer? To God, if you give, I will give back to you. Because I would tell you, give because you have already given. You've already received. Hannah, in the Hebrew, it actually means a woman of grace. That's what Hannah means. A woman of grace. A person who has been shaped by the gentle and steadfast grace of God. And God sees her. He hears her. And just like I began praying this morning, I do believe that God sees you and he knows you. And so whether it's this morning, whether it's when you go home tonight, whether it's throughout this week, what I would ask you is that if you've experienced God's grace, pour out your soul to him. It might not be because you're desiring to experience, you know, you want to have a child, but it might be that you want to experience freedom from your mental health. It might be that you want to experience, you want to receive the strength you need to endure through this conflict, to seek peace with your family or with friends. Or maybe you're just in a complete place of need where you don't have anything. You don't know what you're doing for work. You don't know what to do with your family. In all these spaces, God is wanting to move and draw out purpose. And what I would invite each of us to do is to pour out our souls in prayer because God sees us. Cry out to the Lord Almighty. Let's pray. So, Father, we say, may your will be done. May your kingdom come. All of us don't have the answers to the needs we experience in life, to the challenges we experience, but all of us know, at least in part, what it looks like and what it feels like to be vulnerable, what it feels like to be unseen. And yet, you and your mercy and your grace, you hear us as we call out to you, and I pray we would. I pray we would reach out to you because there's no one else to reach out to, really. You and you alone are the one who can provide what we need. You and you alone are the ones who brings life to death, fruitfulness and barrenness. And so, Lord, we just invite your spirit to move in our church. We invite you to enrich us and remind us of your grace. Lord, I pray that there would be a renewal in each of our hearts to follow you and to, and to really receive and share your grace with others. And for those of us who are kind of in a beginning refresh point, Lord, I just pray that you would ignite their hearts on fire for you. That you would ignite their hearts on fire for you and lead them to not just repentance, but freedom, healing, restoration, your goodness, your mercy. Thank you for how you've loved us. And may we give all this back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.